Hi, this is Gord Miller from TSN. You're looking for the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by a Canadian broadcast hero of TSN, Gord Miller. How are you today, Gord? I'm doing very well, Frank. Yourself? I'm doing very well. Really excited to be talking hockey with you, and it's it's great to it's great to get back to some kind of normalcy, talking some kind of hockey. Yeah, it's been an unusual year, obviously, and uh, a difficult year for a lot of people. And uh, I think what we're all hoping for is to get back to some sort of semblance of normal, whatever that looks like, as soon as possible. Sure, sure. So talking to you about your World Juniors coverage, you know, I was a kid when this happened. I was eight years old running around the house watching this game. But take our listeners through the Jordan Eberle 2009 heroics against Russia and how the environment at the WJC is different than other tournaments. So it was interesting for Eberle because he... You know, they have a summer evaluation camp, and in the summer, he was actually rated last out of the, the 44 Canadian players. Really? He had a horrible camp. Yeah, he, he tried out new skates. It just it didn't work out for him. He had a terrible camp. and But he got a huge break because uh, the coach who was supposed to coach the team left to take a job in the American League. So Pat Quinn was tapped by Team Canada, by Hockey Canada, coached Team Canada. And Pat had coached Everly at the end of 18s the year before and knew him. And uh, Jordan came out of the blocks with a, a great start to the season, made the team. Um, you know, Canada won on New Year's Eve against the United States, a wild game. They fell behind 3 nothing, but Lord back to win it. John Tavares had a, a trick. And you thought, well, that's, that's one of the best World Junior games I've ever seen. And then they faced the Russians in the semifinal in a wild game. They went back and forth. The Russians took the lead late in the third period. Um, there was a face-off. The Russians iced the puck. There was a face-off in the offensive zone. Ryan Ellis held the puck in. Uh, John Tavares made an incredible pass across to Everly, and, and Everly scored the tying goal. And, you know, there was more to it than that. Obviously, the, the game was tied at that point with five seconds to go, but then it went to a shootout, and Everly scored the winner in the shootout. And one of the most amazing parts of it is the puck that he scored that goal with to tie it up was put back in circulation and never recovered. Jordan used that stick in that game, the gold medal game against the Swedes that Canada won, and then broke it in his first game back in Regina and tossed it in the trash can. Trainer in Regina said, isn't that the stick you used at the World Junior? And so he retrieved it, taped it back together, and Jordan's mom has it now. So, I mean, that was at the Ottawa, you know, that was in the NHL rink in Ottawa, um, now known as the Canadian Tire Center. I mean, it was electric. The atmosphere was incredible. And um, it, it, to this day, one of the most talked about moments of the World Junior. And I really, I really admire uh, just his his humbleness about the World Junior stick. I mean, when you're talking about it, because I didn't know the story when we when we were talking about the just tossing the stick aside that he broke it, and that's that's incredible, and it shows a lot about Jordan's character. Yeah, he's a very humble guy, and um, you know we've had a lot of fun talking about it over the years, and and that moment, and. Um, the other funny thing is, you know, he grew up in Regina and down the street from Al Murray, who was the chief scout for Hockey Canada, now the chief scout for Tampa. That's and that's Al, a small world. Al, yeah, Al used to coach Jordan in minor hockey and, and would see him in the driveway, you know, going forehand, backhand shelf, forehand, backhand shelf with a tennis ball hundreds of times. And so Al was actually not at the tournament. He was at the end of his 17, but he watched the game on TV. And when he saw that goal, he said, oh, my goodness, forehand, backhand, I've seen that a million times. 
And it was just that sort of serendipity of the two of them, you know, knowing each other. It was, it was incredible on a number of levels. Yeah, and that, and that is really incredible just knowing that, hey, I've seen that before. I've seen it in development, and now I get to see the final product on the world stage. Yeah, and I think, you know, and, and, this, and the amazing thing was he did it again the next year. Jordan scored the tying goal against the United States in the gold medal game the next year, but Canada lost in OT. Uh, John Carlson scored the golden goal for Team USA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember that one. Uh, that was that that was that was that was an interesting game. I I remember seeing that game, but your work with the World Juniors has been so groundbreaking and so iconic that you were inducted into the International Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame in 2013. What did that honor mean to you? And say about your coverage of the World Juniors. Um. Well, I think it's a great honor, obviously, to be uh, included in that company. There's a, there's a whole lot of people that deserve. Um, the honor um, that that goes with it. I mean, there's, you know, the, my fellow broadcasters, the people behind the scenes. I think that what TSN has done with the World Junior is take a great product and expose it to a lot of people. And and telling these young players stories has has become a big hit in Canada and around the world. You know, it's, the tournament's huge now in Sweden and Finland and Russia and the Czech Republic and elsewhere. So it's coming in the United States. It's great to see yeah, it's 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 a it, like that was how I got exposed to it was watching uh, TSN um, on the remote broadcast with NHL Network when I was younger. So the TSN really does have that wide reach, and it reached to me personally, and that was part of the reason why I was so invested in covering junior hockey when I was in high school. Still to to get to know the the human factor behind some of these younger players. That's, that storytelling is what all journalism is based on. Just shifting gears a little bit now, Gord, you know, I've personally had some negative experiences with the, the three-headed monster known as Barstool Sports. We all know about their problematic nature and the things they've said and done. What made you decide to speak out against this organization? Well, to be honest, I mean, I've, I've never been a fan, obviously, based on their track record. I, I did a Twitter Q&A. Uh, my mentions are normally closed on Twitter, but I opened them up and took questions, and someone said, hey, when, when are you going to spit and chip with the, the podcast? And I, and I said, and I, I believe this, I, actually, I like those guys. I like the guys that do it, but if, if it's associated with Barstool, that's a no-go for me. Mm-hmm. And I finished the Q&A, that was one of the last questions, closed my mentions, and and one of the people that monitors my social media account said, wow, that, that response has gone viral. And so she started sending me some of the responses. And the overwhelming responses were positive, but there were some really negative ones. And so I decided later that day to sort of clarify what I meant. And, and a lot of the, the negative responses were, you're so woke, or this is cancel culture, things like that. So I tried to explain what, what those terms mean to me. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to call me woke, and that means that I'm aware of what's going on around me, that's fine. Uh, you know, cancel culture to me is, in a sense, holding people accountable for what they say and do. If you say and do things that are that are offensive, then you should be held accountable for that. Precisely. And so, and so it went on, and then it just, I mean, the original tweet, uh, you know, 
that had about a million views. And then the the clarification, or the, the, the further expansion, had over 10 million views. And, and a lot of people that reached out to me talked about the experiences that they've had with being bullied on social media and, and their feelings on Barstool. And so it was actually kind of a watershed moment. I felt great about the response I had. Um, I felt good about, you know, exposing, um, you know, the, the sort of abuse that some people have experienced. And um, now there was a downside to it. There were some, some credible threats that were involved in it. But, but overall, um, it was a positive experience. And I think that, you know, I'm just one person, but obviously this has led to a lot of people speaking out. And I think that we're going to take this further and, and speak out more. Yeah, and I think that's so important because when you're talking about something as, as important as being just being kind to people, being treating people with dignity and treating people with respect. I don't care if it's a sports corporation, a, a gambling circuit, or a grocery store down the street. Everybody needs to just be decent to each other. And I think when you're talking about the credible threats, it's really sad that some people would take that to heart instead of trying to listen to what you have to say on it. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there are people out there who are you know, angry for various reasons, and, and social media and the anonymity of it um, affords you an opportunity to say things you like you wouldn't say to someone's face, um, and that's unfortunate. And I think that you know, Twitter Canada was very proactive, and, and uh, you know, a number of accounts were shut down, and a number of people were suspended, and tweets were deleted for what was said. And um, and I appreciate that. I think that social media needs to go further to combat abuse and. Certainly a number of the women who reached out to me talked about their horrific stories. And, uh, and I think that that needs to be addressed. And, you know, speaking out is not an invitation to abuse and harassment at, at any time. No. Giving your opinion is not an invitation to abuse and harassment. And I think that that's one thing that's missing from social media. And I agree with you completely because if somebody's if somebody's saying something, if it's one thing if somebody's saying something offensive, and then you you want to say, hey, you know that's not cool. We want to call that out. But it's another if somebody's saying something like you who said, you know, this is how what I believe. This is how I see it, and this is how I am respectfully. You know, I like X, but I don't like Y. Um, this is what I would do instead. I think that's, I don't see why people should get that upset about things when you're putting it in a respectful manner. Well, that's, that's the whole point, right? Unfortunately, uh, respectful doesn't necessarily go with, you know, social media, unfortunately. No, no, it doesn't. But shifting gears a little bit. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that that's the unfortunate part of it is that and I think Barstool does have to take some accountability for, for the fact that you foster that culture a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've experienced that culture firsthand, and I know I know exactly what you're referring to. But shifting gears a little bit to something more positive, you know, obviously we cover a lot about the Blackhawks and the Central Division and our American teams, but we like to discuss other teams as well. Explain to our listeners what has gone so right for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year versus other years. <laughs> Funny time to ask. They just lost to just lost to Vancouver on Sunday night. The team hadn't played had gone through the COVID outbreak. I mean, obviously what Toronto had is high, high-end skill. With Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander, I mean, their forward group is as skilled as anyone's. Mm-hmm. And their ability to score goals in, in quick fashion is, is their calling card. The question remains for the Leafs, are they good enough in goal and can they defend well enough? And 
They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. Um, you know, the points were made before that no team has won the Stanley Cup with a player whose cap number is 10 million. The Leafs have three of them. Yeah. You know, Matthews, Tavares, and, and Marner are all over 10 million with a cap hit. So it's going to be really interesting to to see how this plays out. And um, but they are a high high end offensive team, and that's going to be really interesting to see how that translates in the playoffs. And that's that's the, the high high offense. You know, sometimes you know we talk about the defense, uh, and it's and it it's not it's up and down as I like to say. It's it's hot and cold sometimes. But when you're talking about the offense, you know, I think what they've done now versus other years is they've brought in the right amount of veterans. I mean, when you're bringing in a guy like Joe Thornton, who has that experience under his belt, who can show some of the younger guys who might not have been in the playoffs as much, hey, this is how we do things in the postseason. I think that kind of an, uh, experience is invaluable and priceless. It is, but you can't be a museum piece. Right. You have to be a contributing player. They, you know, you can't just have someone there as, as, a, as a sort of an icon. You have to have them there as a contributing player. And, and one of the questions for Toronto is, with so much tied up in so few players, do you have the depth to then compete? And certainly with Chicago, you know, with Chicago, when they won the Cup in 2015, and then the, the extensions kicked in for Taves and Kane, and, and, you know, the Hawks haven't won a series since. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not their fault. No. But, but, you know, the Blackhawks have had to shed a lot of players, and until some of their draft picks came along, they haven't had the kind of depth to, to compete with the other teams. And that's that's the you know that's the question and, and every team is built differently. But when you put so much of your cap space into so few players, depth becomes a big issue. Yeah, the the depth pieces I remember with Chicago was guys like Oduya and Hanzus and Roosevelt, right. guys guys who were who were not necessarily making the big bucks, but they were on the the back end, um, like the bottom six or the back end and we're making things happen when the other guys were off the ice. It's not just about the star power. It's about the guys beneath it who can enable that star power to succeed. Right, and that, you know, when you look at Chicago, when they were successful, um, you know, two things. Number one, they had a lot of their own draft picks who come up through the system, you know, 13 or 14 a year. But the other thing was they had to shed players. Every year they won, they had to get rid of five or six players, but they were able to, to fill them in. Then when the cap situation got so bad, they weren't able to. Um, but it looks like, you know, the Hawks were ahead of schedule. I mean, certainly to, to have rebounded the way they have this year, to be in contention for a playoffs, but I think it surprised a lot of people. Yeah, it surprised me too because I didn't I didn't know what to expect. You know, the big question in goaltending with Corey Crawford gone to the Devils then retiring. You know, how, how are we going to handle ourselves defensively in net? And that kind of came out of nowhere, if you will, with Kevin Lankinen and Malcolm Subban. We weren't expecting those guys to rise to the occasion as much as they have. And it's it's so important that when you talk about those depth pieces, because those are the unsung heroes of playoff series and championships. Right. And, and so, I mean, ultimately you win with your big guys. You know, ultimately the Blackhawks won the cup because Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Jonathan Taves, Corey Crawford were their best players. I mean, there, so there is an element to, you know, your big money guys have to be your best players. But depth is an important part of it because some, some really important players did score goals along the way for them and contribute. So there is a balance there. You have to have the high-end players. You're not going to be competitive unless you do. 
But she has the best thing behind. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. But shifting to you now, Gord, you know, you, you broadcast games on TSN and you broadcast games on NBCSN, you know. Is, is there any real difference between broadcasting with TSN versus NBC? No, I think uh, not really. I, mean, I get asked that a lot. I mean, for one thing, I, I would say this. When you're, when you're talking, you know, when you're doing a game in Canada and you talk about, you know, a junior team in Canada, people would be familiar with it. You'd have to explain that to the American audience. Conversely, in the United States, you'd probably talk more about a college player, um, you know, without having to give sort of more of a background on where, what the college is and everything else. But, no, I, I think you're just calling a game. And NBC and TSN both have very familiar and similar um, uh, approaches to the game, which is to tell stories. To, to, you know, obviously, you know, call the game, but also tell people who these players are. Yeah, and this is, it's really, it's, it's incredible because I, I, I'm, I like, I like the, the differentiation because you're, you're, you're bridging the gaps between two, two different, two different audience groups who might not know as much about each other. Right, and so that, I mean, I think that, you know, it's hard to say something new about Patrick Kane. You know, he's been around so long right. and he's so well-known. But, but still, when you talk to Patrick, there's still new stuff about him. One of the most exciting things is young players. You know, I mean, Kevin Lankin, to tell his story. You know, that's one of the exciting parts of it, is to, is to tell people these new players that are, that are coming up. Yeah, and that's that's so important because they're the new faces of the franchise, and that's that's yeah. what's going to that's that's going to be the the uh, the next man up, if you will, the USHL model. Who uh, who's next, if you will? Right, and that's what we're you know we're constantly talking about is who are these new players and what are their stories and and what makes them compelling, and that's that's the great. I mean, one of the great things about the World Juniors, of course, it's a, it's a, a fresh palette virtually every year. And yeah, it's not quite like that, but. You do, you do enjoy being able to introduce people to new players. Yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great time introducing new players. Gord, before we head out today, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and beyond? No, I think you know, stay safe, wear a mask, vaccinated when you can, and let's get back to normal as soon as possible. You heard the man himself, Gord Miller at TSN. Gord, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, 